Good morning. Welcome to Hamilton Street Church of Christ. Thank you for attending with us by way of Facebook or CastBox. We encourage you to uh, share this with others and uh, sing along with us. And uh, we sure encourage you and uh, thank you for, for being with us. Come let us all unite to sing 121 in our book. Come let us all unite to sing God is love. Let heaven and earth their praises bring. God is love. Let every soul from sin awake. Each in his heart sweet music make. And sing with us for Jesus. So loving, so good. 
I've always been fascinated by people of faith. And I was reading just the other day about Corey Ten Boom, who was part of the Dutch resistance to the Nazi advance into the uh, Netherlands uh, during World War II. And she spent time in, in prison because of her actions, but she never wavered in what she felt her mission was. But one thing she said that really stuck out, it says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And it reminded me in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, that that's what Paul, or excuse me, the Hebrew writer, was reminding us of. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, Jesus, I, I, I think, confirmed that statement that Paul made because in John 19 and verse 30, after all that he had endured upon the cross, Jesus simply said, it is finished. We gather each first day of the week. We gather around the table to, to celebrate his resurrection. And, and we realize that that resurrection could never have occurred, uh, occurred without his death. But we also remember the promise to his people that he will come to claim his own. This morning we'll be partaking of the bread, reminding us of the body that went to the cross, of the cup, reminding us of the blood that was shed. But as Jesus said, he says, do this in remembrance of me as we look forward to that great day to come. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you that you have allowed us to gather in your name and Father, we thank you for this bread that represents to us the body that was uh, hung upon the cross. And Father, help us to remember that that was a part of a terrible price that was paid through his sacrifice, not for what he had done, but for what we had done. And Father, let us clear our minds, let us focus on those things that are important, and that is Jesus. pray. Father, we continue our, our thanks at this time. For we realize that the blood that cleanses us is the blood that was shed upon the cross. And Father, let us be mindful that this cup, this fruit of the vine that we partake, serves as the reminder that we need to allow us to refocus our lives. Father, let us each one examine ourselves to uh, clear the thoughts of this life and, and to focus on the price that was paid in Jesus' name. Continue at this time, as is our custom here at Hamilton Street, we would be passing the plate. 
but due to the distances involved, we ask if you would to, to remember uh, to continue with your contributions, and we thank you for all that you've done in the past few weeks. Turn the thing back over to Cole. Before Scott brings us our lesson, we have a medley of uh, one verse of four songs in our book, 273 to 276. We'll sing these before the lesson. <clears throat> Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you
To be sure, we as Christians, meeting on the first day of every week, according to Acts 20 and verse 7, participating in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup, as we've just done, which was modeled and commanded by our Savior on the night before he died, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 28. We are, in fact, according to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25 and 26, honoring the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord, so doing, as Sam reminded us, in remembrance of me. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you see, every Sunday is a resurrection celebration. It's a pause in our overwhelmed lives to reset our priorities, to focus on the privilege we have of being included in the worship of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. It's a simple moment to humble our hearts, to clear our heads, and Psalm 121 reminds us to lift up our eyes to Him who is our help, our guide, our salvation, and promise. Let's talk about that flea. Oh, such a pestilence. Biting and nagging our animals to distraction, causing discomfort and irritation. And during this time, when an abundance of caution keeps us from being reckless with each other's health, we, I get the feeling, all seem to be afflicted with certain fleas on the backs of our daily existence and our living. Allow me to scratch three of those fleas, if you will. Boredom, fear, and a lack of control. This could be a sermon all of its own, but there's so much being said right now by so many people. I want to give it a glance and, and a look, but also give some instruction, maybe some guidance toward that, as we're socially distanced and sheltered in place and all of that. In fact, I want to reprove or admonish you, as is my purpose from time to time, with a thought. Don't let what you feel steal what is real. Don't let what you feel steal what is real. Too many are growing weary and, and sinking into despair or disillusionment, kind of letting the flow of the days melt one into the other until it kind of becomes one, I can't tell one from the other kind of thing. And as we do that, then we kind of lose our, our shape, our form, our, our purpose, if you will. Let's attack those irritating fleas this way. First of all, the, the flea of the lack of self-control or the lack of control about us. We're told to do so many things, so many different ways. We're instructed to wear this, wipe that, stop gathering here, don't go there. And the overriding question is, when will we get the handle on this so we can get back to normal? I don't know. I just don't know. And anybody who tells you they do, probably, I don't know. They probably don't know either. But I do know 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 14. I'll give you a moment to get there in your Bibles. In 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 14, it reminds us, If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice, and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Love that song, it is well with my soul. How do we make it well? Well, the promise to his people is that God will always lead us through the times of the quiet waters, but also through those times he'll lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. The verse reminds us, trust God, serve him, obey his word, follow his lead, and it will be well with your soul. Let's talk about that flea of boredom. This is where the followers of Jesus should shine in this world because you see the root word for a disciple is 
discipline or the, uh, the uh, being in training. Our God is a God of order. Jeremiah 31 verse 35 says, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. My point here is this, in a practical way, get a schedule that covers the bases. I don't know how to make it any more simple than that. You gotta get a schedule. You gotta go to bed on time, get up, on, get up in a regular manner. You gotta order your day. You gotta do these things every single day or you just lose all of your focus. The point that I'm trying to go forward is, is I fear we're not setting a regular time in our Bible study. We do so many things. We have so much time in the news, so many times on that device, so many time at our work, so that we have been given this wonderful gift that we have some time and we should be devouring that Bible. Doing what 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Doing your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We're given this rare opportunity to spend considerable time in prayer, naming the people we love, asking God to put his hedge of protection around us, asking him to kill off this virus, rising up in prayer. And we're too busy sometimes talking to other people about what we gripe about and what we, what we, what we despair about when we should be talking to God. We have this incredible responsibility to connect with others with the amazing grace of God. Let me put it this way. If we alternated an hour of spiritual exercise between any hour of daily or school activities, our days would be productive, rich, they would pass quickly, and we would feel more energy. We would feel more as if we were using the time wisely, Ephesians chapter 5 tells us. Let's scratch that flea of fear, though. We're living in a moment of history during these days. These are moments of frustration, bewilderment, and moments for heroes to shine. And most of us are determined not to hurt others and at the same time, nor to become infected ourselves. Health, jobs, future are all swirling in a whirlpool of drowning information in reality. Every day it's more numbers. Every day it's more posts. Every day it's more this or that. I had a conversation with a friend comparing the size of this current pandemic with others in history. And it struck me the other day as I, after I had that conversation and I thought this. I said, you know, no matter the size of this pandemic in history, it comes down to how it touched your life personally. Any infection, suffering, or death touches us in lasting ways that need compassionate responses. It's as important as the next person. That being said, Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says that what we do now makes history. Follow with me in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 15. It reminds us, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We define history as this moment when we stepped up to deliver comfort and hope. Now how about those bees? Scratch the fleas, now we're going to look at the bees. Last year about this time, I don't know if you remember, but a fire destroyed the Cathedral Notre Dame in Paris, France. My daughter Megan emailed me and shared this with me. She said, while it ruined lumber, brick, and mortar, it did not destroy a hive of bees kept on the roof. Apparently, all the smoke just put them to sleep. But because bees are instinctively driven to stay with the hive and protect it, they wouldn't leave even when the flames broke out. Which puts into mind these days when the fires of fear and suffering are consuming our world and the smoke of solitude and distance are lulling us to sleep spiritually. When all around us there are terrorism and tornadoes and tragedy, accidents, heart attacks and abuse, nuclear tests and COVID tests, our world sees its share of fear and pain and personally we seek relief and rescue. Nevertheless, when danger burns hot, the flames rising, threatening to consume us, we are created in Christ Jesus to stay the course. We must protect our hive, our faith, our family, our community, our people. The bees didn't leave Notre Dame. Even when the fire was unchecked at its peak and they were drugged with the smoke, the bees did what in, in their instincts told them and so must we. We don't leave the church. Acts chapter 11 verse 23 says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. After this, could I say Corona fire us is gone? We'll return to doing what we do best. For centuries, churches lit their buildings with beeswax, considering considering it more pure than animal fat and therefore more worthy of God's holiness and his presence. Bees are often symbolic of resurrection. In the King James Version, the margin notes read that after his resurrection, Jesus asked for food and he was given fish and honeycomb. Making honey is what bees do. Creating sweetness and giving light is what we as the created body of Christ do in this world. We give sustenance that brightens the eyes to those who are hungry for rebirth. We shine a holy light and build a community of light for those in need to see the hope of new life. We are survivors. When the heat gets turned up, when the dry wood crackles, when the stones that have propped us up for so many years threaten to fall, we protect what matters most the body and the fellowship of our Lord and Savior, His church. And after the fire, we rebuild with energy and purpose. We will be back because we never left the hive. Now we've talked about the fleas and we've talked about the bees. Now let's talk about the tree. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I'm in Luke chapter 24 now, if you'll take your Bibles. We're starting in verse 13, and that's the text for the rest of our sermon. Luke 24, Jesus had died. There was no doubt about that. And with him had died the hope and faith of his disciples. The finality of his crucifixion had brought a devastating end to their growing sense 
that what he said was true, that he indeed was the truth, that in his presence they were somehow in the presence of God, but somehow that ended when he died on that Friday afternoon. A few of the women had reported to them and returned from the place where he'd been buried, claiming that the tomb was empty, and a few of the twelve had even claimed to see him. But for the most part, his friends were still experiencing the shock of what had happened. And so the grief that their friend was gone, and so two of them took a walk. And so begins a sermon by John Buchanan. He lives in Washington, D.C., preached uh, that sermon the spring of 9-11, after 9-11. And it interested me because those times like these, people are searching for direction, bewildered by what is going on. Frederick Buechner, in his book, The Magnificent Defeat, writes this. Sacred moments, the moments of miracle, are often everyday moments, the moments which, if we do not look with more than our eyes or listen with more than our ears, reveal only a garden, a stranger coming down the road behind us, a meal like any other meal. But if we look with our hearts, if we listen with our being and imagination, what we may see is Jesus himself. Join me in Luke 24, verse 13. It starts that as these two were walking down the road toward Emmaus, what is so remarkable about the story is how ordinary it is. Just two people. The two of them could be any of us. The road to Emmaus could be any road. And as they walk, talking about what had happened, they are joined by a stranger. And isn't it odd that they didn't recognize him? They continued to talk about what happened, explaining it to him. Luke 24, verse 18 picks it up by saying, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know about it? They ask him. And then as the sun begins to set, they extend hospitality to the stranger, inviting him to share their evening meal and spend the night with them. It's when he broke the bread for them, in a way reminiscent of the time when he fed the multitude, powerfully reminiscent of the way he had broken bread and shared it with his disciples, on the night he was betrayed. As he broke the bread, it says they recognized him. It was Jesus. Luke 24, verse 31 through 35 puts it this way. This is what happened next. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I want to give you three takeaways, if I could, as we end our sermon time together. Three takeaways for today and perhaps for the rest of your life. I'll put it to you this way. It's a prayer almost. Open our eyes, Lord that we might learn to see Jesus. Make our hearts burn as we walk with you. And let us yearn together with others to share the marvel of your presence. We want to learn. We want to burn. We want to yearn. Let's go back. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might learn to see Jesus. This story of the risen Christ comes to two men in the midst of an ordinary, very human activity. Taking a walk. Dealing with the terrible loss. They weren't looking for him. They didn't even recognize him. Awareness does not come as a result of our intellectual search sometimes or our struggle with ideas. It happens when often, by God's good grace, a risen Christ confronts us in the middle of life, in the middle of an ordinary experience that becomes sacred, 
an ordinary moment that becomes holy. And the truth of his presence, deeper and more profound than what our minds can understand, becomes momentarily, eternally clear. Make our hearts burn as we walk with you, Jesus. Craig Barnes observes this. The question is not, do you believe in the doctrine of the resurrection? Frankly, that's not particularly hard to do. What the Gospels ask, on the other hand, is, do you believe, but not, do you believe, but, but have you encountered a risen Christ? We so often encounter the risen Savior when we have spent time in the dark places where hope cannot be seen. The reality of a love more powerful than death, of a love that conquers all, even the power of death itself. And that's a decision you and I must make, isn't it? Do we believe in the risen Savior? With the warmth of His Spirit inside of us, our hearts burning, we will never give, we never, will never give up the cause of His redemption. I read one person who said, there is no wreckage so total, no cause so lost, that the living Christ cannot redeem it. When Christ burns within us, we are changed. We stop hiding and start seeking. We stop making excuses and start moving mountains. With boldness, we never tire of telling people who it is that gave us courage to do such things as these. And we become known for our glad and generous hearts. We become known as Christians. Finally, let us yearn to gather with others, to share the marvel of your presence, Lord. These two disciples turn around and they go back to Jerusalem. And although they are never heard from again, they join the twelve and tell them as best they can about what had happened to them. And so I conclude that while the grandeur of this Easter pageantry that so many are caught up into is surely an important part to many, it's more important, I think, what happens later as Christians share ordinary moments with others as they bring the presence of Christ into their everyday lives. When they say, on behalf of the Lord, welcome. Please, let the kingdom of God embrace you, be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. Stop walking away from him and turn and run to him and he embraces you. For the ordinary becomes holy, where everyday experiences become sacred and the unlikeliest of moments, in those unlikeliness of those moments, the risen Christ makes himself known. That's our message, isn't it? Let's go out today and let's scratch the fleas and get them done with. Let's be the bees and never leave the church. And let's celebrate today the tree. The tree where Christ died for us. That he was buried and arose so that we might have the promise of eternal life. Let's put our Savior on and walk in faith. Let's do these things so that we can live in the presence of Christ. That he becomes known to us in our walk as we welcome others to join us. Thank you for being with us today. We're going to sing one more song. We pray that today you will spend time discovering Jesus in the ordinary. Thank you again for spending this time with us. At this time we'll be, we'll pray as a closing prayer, and then we'll close with a song, I Sing Praises. Let's pray together.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. We pray for all those who are in so many different places at this time that are joining with us. Ask you to be with them, the different struggles that each of us go through. We ask that you be with all of us and all of those. Continue to be with us and help us as we go about our daily lives that we can go along and we can sing praises to your name. We can give glory to your name in all that we do and remember and never take for granted the blessings that we have through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. I sing praises to your name, O Lord, praises to your name, O Praises to you. 